This is from John 13, verses 21 through 30. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he said, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's the, this is the Word of God, uh, just so that we keep that in mind as we continue. So we're in a study on the, on the book of John. That's John 13 we're in now. We're at a very pivotal part of the book of John, because what's happening is in John 13, we enter into a section for a number of chapters where Jesus teaches intensively. He teaches his, his disciples and, and some of his followers. He teaches them intensely about this is how we change the world. He teaches them their purpose, their mission, their vision for serving and, and, and impacting the whole world. So this is incredibly important for us to study because it is as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's still the same principles, same vision, same idea of service. And so he, he meets with them, and I just want to remind you the setting. This is kind of what it would look like. In those days, they reclined. They laid at the table, all right? They didn't sit at the table. And so far be it from me to criticize some great works of art, but they're wrong, right? This is what it looks like. Now, what would happen is you would lean on your left hand because your right hand is the favored hand, the clean hand, which was really tough for people like me who are left-handed. You just had to learn. Nope, ain't happening, right? So what would happen is if you look to the left of the screen, the first person to the left of the screen would be one of the two places of honor. The second person would be the host or the person putting on the meal. The third person on the left-hand side would be the other place of honor. Now, we know who's there. We know Jesus is the host. We know from what we just read that John, it says, leaned back to Jesus to ask him a question. Well, John's right there. So he leaned back. Jesus is right there and said, who is it? Right? We also know this. Typically, the host with the two people, this is where this is not quite accurate, the host with the two people were by themselves. Then there was space, and then the others gathered around. So that if Jesus dipped bread and handed it to Judas, more than likely, almost certainly, he's right there next to Jesus. And this is what, you know, from the very beginning of John 13, we're astounded by. Jesus put Judas in a place of honor. He elevated him. He honored him. This is incredible because all the way back in John 6, and then I think it's John 12, we have Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. He knows. Jesus knows. 
He didn't just like, when he dipped, go, oh my goodness, it's you. He knew. That's an incredible thing. So we have this going on. Jesus gets up and washes their feet. And again, remember, he washes Judas' feet. He doesn't stop and go, I know you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You think you're doing this behind my back? I'm not washing your feet. Right? He doesn't do that. He washes Judas' feet as well as all the others. He's setting something up for us. He's telling us, this is how you serve. This is how you love. Even your enemies. This is what you do. And we talked about this. This is impossible. This is impossible. Exactly. It cannot be done apart from Jesus Christ being integral to your life, being your Savior, being your Lord. And the power of the Holy Spirit enables us sometimes to go directly against how we would normally act and do ridiculous, crazy, reckless things like serve even an enemy. That can happen to this day. It's still there. So, Jesus washed their feet. We, we looked at this. Foot washing love will confront when needed because Jesus does say, you're the one. He does say that. Foot washing love is an act of the will in spite of our emotions. That's the only way it can work. You know, it's interesting how God tells us that we are to love our enemies. He doesn't say like your enemies. Isn't that interesting? Because like is an emotion that you cannot control. You can't control whether you like someone or dislike someone. It's just the way it is. You know, I don't like certain things, whatever it is. But if love is an act of the will, you can control that apart from your emotions so that you can love your enemies, but he's not requiring you to do something that's impossible for you to do, that is to like them, right? So foot washing love is an act of the will in spite of our emotions. And finally, foot washing love serves and refrains from judgment. It washes the feet. Judgment is a part of this world, but it washes feet saying, look, just like Jesus did with Judas, I know what you're all about. I'm still going to wash your feet. That's amazing. That's just incredible. So we look at this passage, you know, and sometimes I think about as I'm kind of crafting, putting together a message, I think, you know, where would be a good time maybe to use humor as an illustration? Where would be a good time to interject this, that, like that? And then you guys know me. Sometimes it's not even there. It's not anything I planned, but it's just my mouth runs and I, I have trouble stopping it and things come out. But, you know, this passage, this passage is so serious. This passage is such a tragedy that it's just, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to understand how deep it goes. But here we go. Number one. Sin grieves God. We have to understand this. Sin breaks God's heart. And that's from verse 21. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Right there. Troubled in spirit. And in the Greek, that's a very powerful word that's used there. Uh, It's a powerful statement. It has this idea of this profound anguish and anxiety, a sadness and a grief, even with a little anger in it. And it has this idea, it's very interesting, it has this idea of being shake or, shaken or pulled in two directions. In other words, being torn up. And Jesus here is saying, or the Scripture here is saying, Jesus is being torn to pieces over this. 
this is killing him. It speaks to what sin truly is. You know, it tells us something important. Sin is not just a violation of some sort of moral code. It's not, it's not going against some kind of a cosmic rule. I want you to get this. Sin at its core is relational. Sin affects the heart of God. It affects the heart of God. It is a violation of a relationship. If you break a law of the universe, let's just say you decide you're going to break the law of gravity and you're going to fly. You can stand right here and you can go, off I go, right? And what will happen? Right? Will anyone be offended? Does anyone say, oh, it just tears me up that you try to do that. I'm so offended that you're trying to fly. No, no. No one would be offended by that. No one's offended if you try. You would fail, just to keep you off of roofs. Let me encourage you on this. You would fail, but it won't offend someone. This is not a cosmic law that people go, oh, that grieves me. But when you can commit a sin, let's say something like lying. And the Bible says lying is a sin. Let's all get straight on that one too, right? We're all together on this on the same page. It is breaking a rule that God has set up in this world. But also what it does is it tears apart relationships. This is what's so key about it. In a relationship, sin is just not breaking a rule. Sin is hurting the relationship. In Genesis 6-6, God sees the world and how bad the world is going. And what happens is it says, it grieved his heart. It broke his heart. The sin, he was filled with pain. It's the same word that's used a number of times in the Old Testament for abject human misery and pain. God's feeling this incredible pain at the way the world is sinning. Think about this. Jesus is so emotionally invested in the life of Judas that Judas' act of betrayal breaks his heart. That is amazing. See, it's not just breaking a rule. It's trampling on a relationship. And this is why it matters. This is why it's so key. You know, in our world, there's a tremendous amount of terrible things going on. You know, we see what's going on in the Ukraine. We see what's going on in, in Yemen, in, in Myanmar, a number of places all over the world where it just pain and, and, and it's just desperate times. And I just, I also, I, I want to add here, um, we, and we're still doing it, but we, we've taken up money to send to our missionary, uh, Phil Flowers, who's working with Ukrainian refugees right now. And, and um, it's, it's a blessing to them. And I think one of the other exciting things that's a real blessing to them is, is uh, I was um, going back and forth with Phil the other day, and he was like, man, Bob, I'm loving the book of John. And I said, oh, are you studying the book of John? He goes, no, I'm watching you. Hi, Phil. Thanks, buddy. Angela, kids, you're so cute. Okay, so, so I told you something would come out. Okay, so what, here's the deal. There's, I just blew this. There's all this terrible stuff. There's this horrific stuff. You know, we can see it every day if you want to. It's all around us. And so there can be a tendency. I met a, met a person one time and said, so what difference does it make for just me, me in Newport News, Virginia, in what I do with my time compared to all the 
stuff that's so big. My thought life, what I do with my money, what I do with my body, doesn't seem very big compared to the big things. But see, here's the point. This is what he's trying to teach us here. John and God is trying to teach us something. Sin is relational. It doesn't matter whether it's little things or big things. It's relationship things. They're what, what are huge to God, even the little things. I'll give you an example of this. My older brother and his wife, they were the first ones of the three brothers to have kids. And uh, when they had their kids, their first daughter, and then they had twins, I, I was amazed. We, 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 uh, when I was going to grad school, we lived with them a little bit and then lived right by them for, for two years. And I was always amazed at how much time they would spend talking and thinking about things like sleep schedules and feeding patterns and bodily functions, right? So much energy and thought. It was amazing how there were these two intelligent, thoughtful, interesting people who would want to talk about things like that. And they'd want to have, talk about playtimes and the cost of diapers and constipation, all this stuff. Why were they like this? Because they loved intimately. Yeah, I know. All parents with little kids right now are going, that's us. That's us. Oh, no. We've become the enemy, right? I'll tell you what. I watched this, and I vowed I will not. If we have kids, I will not be that kind of parent. I will not become some kind of weird parent whose life seemed to revolve around this small child. Not me. Then we had our first kid. We had Derek. And when you take your son home, you take your child home from the hospital, they tell you these important things. And one of the things they tell you is very important is bowel movements. And I was like, oh, no. No, really? Right? And not much later, I am like, yes, yes, my boy pooped. Look at that. You are so good. Man, and you know, they'd be like, oh, Bob, all kids poop. <laughs> I know, but not like this. <laughs> this kid is a major league pooper, man. He's like an elephant, man. This is incredible. I'm so proud of him. He's above average, right? I was sure of that. I was sure of that. I became what I had vowed not to become. Why? Because it's a love relationship. Just like God loves us, and he's interested in the smallest things. And, you know, for parents, we understand this. We, we hate to see our kids doing things that could ruin, destroy their lives or affect them over, long, over the long term in really negative ways. We hate to see that kind of stuff as it, as it comes up. And I can remember sitting down with one of my kids one time when they told the lie and said, you don't understand how big this is. This, this situation is not that big. But here's the problem. You could get in the habit of this, and this, this becomes something you're known for and characterized as, and it will ruin you. You can't lie. Why was I so worried about it? Because I love that kid. I love that kid. And you know, people say to me sometimes, why sometimes we see God getting angry? It seems so ungodlike. I like the God of love. I don't like the God of wrath and anger. But if God was not a loving God, he would not get angry. He wouldn't care about sin. Because here again, and we've talked about this, anger is not the opposite of love. 
and 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 I, and I know pe- some people have talked to me about this, and I and I will kind of s- move my position a little bit. Yes, hate is kind of the opposite of love, but the most extreme form of hate is indifference. The worst thing you can do is just not care. Just not care. That's the worst thing you can do to a child. It's the worst thing you can do to a human being. Just not care. I mean, to me, this is the horror of hell. God saying, depart from me. I don't know you. That's the horror. And so, anger is a sign of your, you care. There's something that's stirred within you. If you love your children, sometimes you get upset with them. Now, you have to watch and be careful so that you don't lash out. You don't do something in anger that's hurtful, and you compound the whole problem. But you understand God is angry at sin. He hates what it does to us. So God is personally grieved about the details of our lives. He's personally grieved about what we do at times with our bodies, with our time, with our relationships, with our money, and on and on and on. He's grieved when we don't care what he thinks. And this shows us something. It shows us that he's the God of love. Because that's the sign of love. How do we know Jesus loved Judas? because it hurt Jesus to his core. It tore his heart apart, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. So we see sin grieves God. But also, I want you to see the sin of betrayal. This is the particular sin that we're dealing with here. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, uh, that very truly, remember, this is, this is truly, truly the doubling of something to emphasize that this is so important. He's saying, guys, listen to me. One of you is going to betray me. Now, I just want to throw up here, I know this definitions can get a little bit wacky, sometimes hard to follow, but I want you to see too, basically, betrayal. When you treat a relational connection as if it was not there and is not binding, or when you are more concerned with fulfilling your own personal needs and goals rather than fulfilling the trust and expectations of the relationship. So here's what we're looking at. You're in a connection. It may be with a relationship, a relationship, some sort of relationship with a group, or maybe a relationship with an individual. And you're in that relationship, but you fail to honor the restraints. You fail to honor the character of that relationship, what that relationship's all about. That's a form of betrayal. An example of this, you know, you can find examples, easy one, is, is the idea of committing treason. You know, we have, we have a famous example of Benedict Arnold. And, I, and I, I love history, and so I'd done some studying on him a while back. And just a long story short, because it's a very involved story, he swore to, on his life to fight for the United States of America. He said, "My to the death, I will fight for the United States of America. And then he became discontent with how he was being treated by certain people and felt that they had slighted him. And then he approached the British, and they offered him more money than he was being paid. And so he betrayed his oath. He committed treason 
when we, even today, like for instance, in, in the military, they swear to uphold the Constitution to the point of death. And treason is to say, no, I'm not going to. I'll do something else. I'll fight against it. I'll fight against the United States. This, this, that's a betrayal. Another form of betrayal that maybe hits home to us a little closer is ingratitude. You know, thankfulness is to acknowledge that you've been given something that is more than you expect or deserve. You get something that you, don't, you didn't expect, it, you didn't deserve it, and you, and you should be thankful. Ingratitude is a betrayal of that. The failure to thank is relational betrayal. Famous story about that. The story of the two sons, the prodigal son, both struggling with ingratitude. The younger son, what did he say? I want my inheritance, father. When do you usually get your inheritance? When your father dies. What is he saying? I wish you were dead. Let's face it, dad. We got no relationship. You're dead to me. Give me my money and let me get out of here. Now, I want you to know what I would have said if one of my kids said that to me. I would say, you're dead to me. Let's start now. Bam. Just be like so mad. That's such an insult, right? And so he is, he, there's no gratitude here. I want your inheritance. I value, I value your things more than your relationship. Now, we have the older son. Remember, the younger son comes back. You guys know this. a famous story. The son comes back. They decide to have a party to welcome him back. And the older son's like, what the heck? What's going on? And the older, the father comes out. He says, hey, he, he was like dead, but now he's back. We should rejoice. And the older son says, all, and the, the phrasing of it is so powerful. All these years, I've slaved for you. And he uses a word that means I worked for you and got nothing for it. All these years, I slaved for you. And remember what the father said? He says, wait a minute. Everything here is yours. He took his. It's gone. Everything else is yours. And he said, you, well, you, never, you, you never killed the fatted calf for me. They're your fatted calves. You can have one every day if you want. Ingratitude. Ingratitude. He characterized his relationship to his father as an owner and a slave. And so we see this. Ingratitude is a betrayal of relationship. And Judas betrays Jesus. No one is sure why. I really, you know what, I really I love it that the Word of God never tells us why. What was Judas, Judas's reason? And the, and the reason is because, I think, is because if we had that, we'd go, oh, well, I don't do that. I'm okay. Right? We, we would, it's easy when you see a particular sin. We're all, we all get mad at people who commit the sins that we don't commit. Right? We go, oh, 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 you're so bad. How can you be a Christian? That anger, oh, you're terrible. But then what happens? You know, maybe it's something else, and somebody else does something that you do, and you're like, oh, I understand. It's so hard. Forgiveness and grace, brother, right? We do that. So we don't know what Judas's problem is. We don't know the thinking behind it, and that's a good thing because it could have been a million different things. And every one of us has the potential in us to be like that. And so... We see Judas. We don't know why, but at his heart, he did not want a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like sometimes people say, I like you as a teacher, but not as a master. I like you as a consultant, but not as the Lord of my life. 
I don't want your authority in my life. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So it's somewhere in there that Judas shakes out. I was reading uh, a while back a guy, and he was talking about our, right now our cultural obsession with being true to your heart. Some people call it being, being authentic. Now, like many things that get abused, being authentic can actually be a good thing. There are good times about being authentic, but it can also be taken too far. And this guy was writing about this, and he was saying, being true to your heart can lead to disaster. We're told it's the way to happiness. We're told the way it's the way to uh, relational success. It's the way to professional advancement. But his point in his article is, this really a good idea? Because then he wrote, think of the things you would be tempted to do if you knew you could get away with it. Those are the things people are saying, be true to your heart. Just say, you know, just say. And, 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 and he was saying, um, which kind of showed what, how he was, but he, he was saying, I could end up saying to my nanny, I would like to sleep with you if my wife would be okay with it or if I could get away with it because that's crossed my heart, that's crossed my mind. Should I be true to that? And he says, maybe we need to think about being sincere and having integrity. It's a very interesting thought. I thought of this. Years ago, Woody Allen was being questioned about the ethical nature of having a sexual relationship with his stepdaughter. And he said, a heart wants what it wants. You can't resist it. What he said was, be true to your heart. That's basically what he's saying there. He's saying, even if you want something, if you want something, you should have it. And the writer of this article is saying, if you want something, maybe you shouldn't get it. Because we can't trust our heart. We need something that's a little more trustworthy than just our heart and what our heart wants at any given time. Our world is deeply, inherently relational. And as much as we want to assert ourselves and express ourselves as individuals, we still have to remember that in many ways we are who we are because of relationships. Because we were made for that. We were made for that. Betrayal happens when we honor a personal need or a personal agenda over a relational commitment. Betrayal happens when we lack thankfulness and gratitude. Betrayal happens when we use others for gain. Betrayal can happen when we decide to be true to our heart rather than keep the promises that we've made. We have to understand that. So that's the sin of betrayal. Now let me talk to you about the deceitfulness of sin that we see in this passage. Sin grieves God. It breaks His heart. This particular sin we're talking about is the sin of betrayal, which can flow out of ingratitude, unthankfulness. And now, what's the deceitfulness of sin? This is important for us. His disciples stared at one another at lost to know which of them he meant when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him what he means. Which one? Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Right? They don't know who it is. This is the deceitfulness of sin. A little later, after he's... he's Pointed it out again, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Jesus said, whatever you do, do quickly. 
Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. You, you see, none of the disciples had a clue. None of them had a clue who Jesus was talking about. When Jesus gave him that bite of bread, they didn't look at each other like, It's him. I was right. Pay up, pay up, pay up. Right? None of them said that. None of them, none of them, you know, were was saying, saying to themselves as they were, he always looked a bit shady. Right? Nobody said, hey, you notice when we were casting out demons? None of the ones that he cast out came out. Did you notice that? None of them said, hey, does anybody realize he owns a pitchfork? Nobody's. No, that's, <laughs> Dumb. Okay. They didn't know it was Judas even after Jesus pointed it out. Sin is deceitful. It hides itself from people and it hides itself from us, from ourselves. And we end up saying things like, I'm not a workaholic. I'm just very productive. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just the life of the party. I'm not abrasive and mean. I just have high standards. I'm not stingy. I'm just prudent with my money. Sin hides. Remember when God came to Cain all the way back at the beginning of Genesis, and he said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and it wants to own you. It wants to master you. He warns him of this. Don't let it devour you, Cain. It will dominate you if you let it. It starts out, outside and works its way in. And then after a while, you totally yield, and it just dominates you. This is the deceitfulness of sin. You know, it wouldn't be complete if I didn't have a J.R.R. Tolkien reference in a sermon. And so it's interesting because I was reading the other day. A reporter had asked him a long time ago, do you reread your books? And he said, yeah, I do that every once in a while. I reread, I reread the books. And he looked and he goes, they're very good, you know. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's good. And, he's, and the reporter said, is there any part of your book that you go, oh, and it just grips your heart? And he said, there's one part of the two towers that I always weep. And he said, it's when, it's when Sam and Frodo, I'm going to cry about Lord of the Rings. This is ridiculous. Sam and Frodo are, are with Gollum working their way to destroy the ring. And there's this one really poignant time where Gollum starts, it's almost like the love of Frodo is starting to change him. And he starts having this little bit of a back and forth. And he starts saying, I won't betray him. I won't. He starts thinking that way. And then what happens is Sam comes up and says, what are you doing, you little thief? And, uh, and, and, and in the book, it says, his eyes changed back, and the glint was gone. And they became soulless and dead, dead again. He was at the point, maybe. And J.R. Tolkien said, I cry every time I read that. He could have been redeemed. Sin is deceitful. And then it takes us. It wants to take you. It wants to be your master. And Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says to Judas, sin wants to take you. Come to me. Jesus says to us, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I give you rest. Let me just say this. Whoever you are, wherever you are, 
We have lots of people that watch online all over the place. If you're thinking, maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need to give my life to Jesus. Maybe I need to deal with this sin. Maybe I need to make this relationship right. I need to deal with this relationship. Can I just tell you, don't put it off. Don't put it off. This may be the day you need to act. Don't delay. Because sin crouches at the door and it wants to devour. It wants to ruin relationships. It wants to bring pain and agony into people's lives. Don't delay. So we have sin grieves God. We have the sin of betrayal. We have the deceitfulness of sin. And now we have this point where Judas is lost. In verse 26, Jesus answered and said, It is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. And so he dips the bread, he hands it to Jesus. Now we look at that and we don't think much of it, but actually that's a very powerful moment. It's a very powerful image. Because here's the thing, in a, in a meal like that, and it is similar even today, but in a meal like that, for the host to personally dip and offer was considered a very high honor. And, and he's already, it, it, it's a high honor. It means intimacy. It means relationship. It means I care about you. And Judas is right there in the place of honor with John next to Jesus. And for the host to personally give him a bite of food was considered a special honor and a kind of a moment of tenderness. It's kind of like this. Um, I, I, I love, I enjoy cooking steaks. What I do is I have this marinade I make up, and I marinate the steaks. I make sure it's a decent cut of meat. I marinate the steaks for a bit, not too long, because you don't want the marinade to overpower the steak. You still want the steak to be steak. You guys know this. Anyways, then when it's, when it's through marinating, Make sure it's room temperature. I pat it dry. I sprinkle on some special stuff that I put on it. And then I preheat the grill real high, if it's thick steak, real high. And I put the pieces of steak on the grill quickly to sear and then flip them quickly to sear because what that does is it kind of seals in the moisture in the meat by searing the outside. Then I cut it back, the heat back, and cook them slowly so you don't get that thing, if you've ever seen it, where the edges are like, gray and the middle is raw because that's somebody who too much heat too quickly you got to let it go slow so that and that's free i just gave you that free of charge your life is about to improve a lot okay now and what i'll do sometimes we have people over or maybe it's my kids or something you know something special i'll cut a little piece and i'll go here try this try this and they're like oh dad this is so great you're the best they may be lying i don't know but it says, but what is it? What is it? I say, you're special. Try this. What do you think? We have a relationship, and I am interested in you bonding, enjoying this with me. It means something, right? It means something. It's a gesture of thoughtfulness. It's a gesture of intimacy. It's a gesture of love. Jesus does that for Judas. This is amazing. Jesus, Jesus washed his feet. He placed him in the place of honor. And now we see the final act of kindness, right? Washing the feet, place of honor, dipping the bread. 
And the key point here, this is something I remember a few years ago just thinking about this and suddenly being thunderstruck. The disciples did not know who the betrayer was. But Judas knew that Jesus knew. Judas knew. He knew the whole time. John 6, Jesus is talking about a betrayer. Now, maybe it wasn't fully formed in Judas's mind, but he heard that teaching. And I think it's John 12, he, he mentions this again. Judas is like, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. And then he's going, why is he honoring me? He knows. Why is he washing my feet? He knows. Why is he giving me this food? He knows. Think about that. This must have been this incredible emotions going on inside of Judas. He knows exactly what Jesus is trying to do. And Jesus is saying, I see you. I know everything you think is hidden. And I still love you. Judas, it's not too late. It's not too late. You can change. This is not your identity. Find it in me. It's not too late, Judas. One more chance with the bread. And Judas says, no. No. Why? We talked about this, but we don't know. We don't know. Why do people say no these days? Some people hate to be made, feel, hate to be made to feel guilty. They hate that feeling. And so they say no. I won't admit my sins. Some people don't want to lose control. That is from a struggle, struggle for all of us, I think. At times in our lives, even after we become followers of Jesus Christ, we still want to be in control. Maybe Judas wanted, I don't know. But this is incredibly tragic. Incredibly tragic. Because G Judas is faced with this unbelievable love. And he says no. So where do we find comfort in this, this, this kind of depressing, desperate thing? Well, we think about this. Jesus is offering Judas this new identity. He does the same for us. He says to us, it's not too late. You may say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, maybe are there other things? Is there a relationship that should be repaired? It's not too late. You can do it. He's offering the same. Why? It's just, to me, it's so amazing. We're seeing something here. We're seeing that we have the God who pursues. The God who pursues right to the end. Right to the end. It's an interesting thing, you know, uh, I love this passage in, Gen in Luke 15. I love this part. I, I love the whole passage. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He eats with them like he did with Judas. He eats with them. He gives them places of honor. He recognizes them. What kind of person is this? And Jesus begins teaching parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons, right? He teaches them these three parables. Why? Because he says, you know, this really bugs you about these sinners. Can I tell you what the heart of God is? Let me tell you what my heart is. The lost sheep I search desperately for. And when I find him, celebrate good times, come on, bom, 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 bom. right? I told you I'd try to get some humor in here, just a little, and I failed miserably, okay? So that lost sheep, 
Celebration, the lost coin. What does it say then? It says there is rejoicing in front of the angels. I used to read that wrong all the time. What a thought. Who's rejoicing in front of the angels? God. God. He got his happy feet. He's thrilled. Why? One, one, one person. One person repents. God gets crazy. How about that? That's the kind of God we have. He pursues. And then the lost sons and the, and the picture of the father standing on the porch waiting. He knows someday that boy's coming home and I'm going to be the first one to him. And I'm going to blow his mind with what I do. That's the God we have. That's the heartbeat of God. In our values as a church, we have a list of things that we value. The number one value is people matter to God. And so they matter to us. And that seems kind of simple, seems kind of cliche, but it's taken from Luke 15. God says, this is my heart, people. That has to be our heart too. It's the heartbeat of God. And this is Jesus' last ditch effort to reach Judas. And it shows his heart. It shows his heart. I just want to finish with a, one or two quick verses. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, he says, all this is from God. I know this is a long passage, but all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, God has made us right with him, and now we have the job of being the people who reach out to bring that about for others, all right? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What is an ambassador? It's someone who speaks for someone else. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is reconciled to God to mean? It means verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says we are speaking as if God is talking to you personally. And I mean, we can appropriate this. I could say to you, I'm telling you as if God himself was telling you this, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We have this ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because people matter to God. Even, I mean, who in this whole world can you think of that you might think deserves hell more than Judas to betray the Lord? And Jesus kept saying, come on, Judas, one more chance. Come on, Judas. And here, he's, Paul says, we implore you. The word there is to beg. We beg you. This is of the utmost importance. For all of us, what does this show us? We can't overcome our problems on our own. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And it shows us that if God is speaking to us, then we need to do it now. Because this is the end. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Very interesting number of um, theologians think that John tacked on it was night, not just to say it's the time of night, but to say he went out into the darkness. Because darkness and light are recurring themes throughout the book of John. And John says, Judas left and walked out into the darkness. It's, a, you know, this would be such a terrible ending. Judas said no, and he left. But we have to remember that Jesus went into the darkness for us. 
This is our hope. This is our hope. And our hope as human beings, as people who follow Jesus Christ, is that God gives us chance, opportunities to become reconcilers, become people who say, we are begging you on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ. Begging you in different ways, maybe loving you, maybe serving you, maybe sharing with you, maybe whatever it may be. But he says, this is, this is what it's all about. This is the heart of God. People. And he wants that to be our heart too. He's saying to us, my sheep are lost. Will you help me find them? My coin, my coins are lost. Will you help me find them? My children are lost. Will you help me find them? And he asks us to be a part of that, which there is no greater thing you can do with your life in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. It is dark and sad and horrific. But Lord, also there is hope woven all through it. You are the God who loves. You are the God who pursues. You are the God of second chances, third chances, fourth, ad infinitum. You are the God who never ceases to love us. Lord, help us to be made aware of that and to live accordingly. Help us to find ways to find your lost sheep and coins and children. Lord, thank you that you sought us and we can have the privilege of becoming daughters and sons of the Most High King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.